New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Intuition. What is it? Where does it come from? Is it trustworthy? Can we expand our capacity for it? The answers to these and many other questions serve as a focus for this edition of New Dimensions with our guest, Dr. Judith Orloff. Judith Orloff is a board-certified psychiatrist and assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at UCLA. She's been a presenter at medical schools, hospitals, universities, or even prisons, and the American Psychiatric Association. She is the author of several books, including the bestsellers, Dr. Judith Orloff's Guide to Intuitive Healing. Also, Emotional Freedom, Liberate Yourself from Negative Emotions and Transform Your Life, as well as Second Sight, an intuitive psychiatrist tells her extraordinary story and shows you how to tap your own inner wisdom. Join us for the next hour as we explore our own capacity for intuitive knowledge with our guest, Dr. Judith Orloff. I'm Justine Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Judith, welcome. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to have you across the microphones from me once more. Judith, I want to go back to your early story. I know that you've told it on previous programs, but some of our listeners may not have heard it. So talk about your childhood a little bit and your own intuitive abilities and how that was for you. Well, in Second Sight, I talk about how I had many, many struggles to embrace my intuition from a young age and how I incorporate it as a psychiatrist now. But I was a, a child brought up in Beverly Hills, and both my parents were physicians, and I have 25 physicians in my extended family, and I was this little girl that would have premonitions, and I would predict death, illnesses, earthquakes, all kinds of scary things. And finally, my mother said to me, me never mention another one of your dreams or intuitions at home again. So I grew up believing that there was something wrong with me. Why, why did she say that to you? Because she was so frightened and upset and unnerved by it. She said, why do you keep saying these negative things about my friends, which made me feel about two inches tall. And of course, as a child, I would never you know, want to hurt her in any way. But I was picking all this up. I was dreaming this. I was knowing things. I had a very sensitive constitution as a child. And I was kind of a sister from another planet from the very beginning. And I, I still feel that way, though, though I'm more adjusted and, and love being here more. Were any of those uh, premonitions, were, did they come out to be true? They all did. 
And that also scared her a bit? Or? Well, that, that is what scared her. At one point, I, I had a premonition that her mentor, a judge in Philadelphia, was going to lose the election. Not only that, that a, a strange woman would rush up after him and bite his hand. And what happened was that he lost the election, and his daughter-in-law, who was manic-depressive, had a break that night and ran up after him and bit his hand. So it was after that that my mother said, please don't mention another one of these again. Well, in, but that was that was such a strange thing to think of. I mean, you couldn't make that up, and no. and 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 I know that your your parents were very considered themselves very rational and scientific. So it must have really gone against all of their belief systems in some ways. It did in a, in a sense, but what I learned later on was at my mother's deathbed was that my mother told me that we came from a whole line of intuitive healers on her side. And I have a chapter in Second Sight on my female lineage and what I learned on my mother's deathbed. And my mother always had that lineage and always knew about it and had intuitive abilities herself, but she didn't want me to have them because she didn't want my life to be weird, as she put it. She wanted me to fit in the mainstream and lead a, quote, happy life. And so when I showed signs also, being another woman in the family who had these abilities, she wanted to squash them in me, not for bad motives, but she had this idea in her head. She wanted me to fit in and be happy. And I've always, you know, traveled the road on the side of things. I've never been mainstream. You know, now, you know, I've always attuned to misfits and people on the fringe. And now that's just who I am. It's always has been. But my mother wanted me to be in the center of things. And so this was a battle that we had. And part of it was that she didn't want me to express my intuitions. And so I grew up believing there was something wrong with me because I had no support for my dreams that came true. I had no support for sensing energy and shopping malls and, and picking it up in my own body and leaving them exhausted, not knowing why I was absorbing all this. I had no idea. And so in Second Sight, I wanted to be a guidebook for people to be able to teach their parents, to teach their children what is going on here so that children can grow up with a natural intuition that is so much a part of them. It doesn't have to be squashed, but my healing path is this, um, in that my intuition was squashed. And so I went through my journey to really embrace it and find a voice and not be afraid of it and to know how beautiful and whole and, and amazing it is for me as a woman, a human being, and as a psychiatrist, seamlessly interwoven in every aspect of my life. But as a child, I had no idea, and so I began to be ashamed of these abilities. So when did you start acknowledging them again? Was it after medical school or during medical school or, or before then? Well, what happened was that it, I got very heavily involved with drugs in the late 60s, trying to run from my abilities. And so I went on a, a kind of a dangerous path for a couple of years. And during that time... So how old were you at that time? I was a teenager. Uh-huh. And um, I went on a dangerous path, and one night I was uh, partying at a friend's house in Santa Monica, and I met a man, and we went up uh, to Malibu Canyon, Tuna Canyon, up to the top of a cliff, and we were driving, and as we went up to the top of the road, the car skidded over the cliff and started spinning eight times. I'll never forget that, as it was bouncing against the wall of the mountain, and during that 
tumult down the hill, I got catapulted into a tunnel that was, um, people have described it, you know, later on about the tunnel of light. Um, it was gleaming gray and everything was whirling with enormous speeds and I was safe as we went down the cliff. And so, and, and neither of us were harmed. And I had never seen that man again before or after. We were just meant to have that experience together. But it was after that that my parents forced me to go see a psychiatrist because they were so afraid for me. And it was this psychiatrist that was able to see that for me to be whole, I had to integrate my intuitions in, in my dreams and my premonitions into who I am. And he, in turn, sent me to Dr. Thelma Moss, who I write about, who was my first mentor. And she gave me her keys, and I did a psychometry reading, something I'd never done before, where you hold keys and you close your eyes, you tune in, and you get information from them. And for the first time in my life, I did this, and she hired me to work as a volunteer in her lab, you know, at that time. Um, and so that's when my whole world opened up because for the first time, people were really affirming my intuition and, and I got to witness all kinds of healers and, and uh, consciousness researchers. And it was at that point that I had a night dream in which a voice came to me to, t to tell me I was to become an MD, a psychiatrist, in order to have the credentials to legitimize intuition and medicine. And this just came out of the blue. I was living with my boyfriend in Venice Beach. I was working in the towel department in the May Company and working with Thelma. And then here's his dream. So what do you do with it? I didn't think it would come true because I didn't want to become a doctor. I was more a writer and a creative person, and I didn't want to go to medical school. But because I was beginning to trust my intuition, I enrolled in one course in a junior college, and one became two, became 14 years of medical training. Oh, my. <laughs> and as you, it was, you were going through medical training, um, you probably didn't use your intuition, I mean, overtly anyway. Well, that it's so interesting because I, I, this is the whole journey that's in Second Sight that I write about. But when I went to medical school, what I saw working in emergency rooms was that anyone who claimed to be psychic came in also with psychotic ideas where they felt that their food was poisoned or the FBI was out to get them. And they were brought in in gurneys, shot up with Haldol, and taken to inpatient wards and medicated. And then when they left, they no longer felt that they were psychic. So from a traditional psychiatric view, they equate clairvoyance or psychic with psychotic. And that's all I saw. And I wanted to be part of the medical community. I loved medical school and learning about the body, you know, and science. And, oh, it's just so incredible. And working with patients has always been so magical for me. But the medical community equated psychic with psychosis. And so I strayed very far from my intuitive world and my intuitive life for 14 years because I didn't think it was safe or appropriate to bring up in that setting. Mm -hmm. But when I opened up my private practice in Los Angeles, and I, I had a, a patient who came in who was depressed. She was a bank teller, and I put her on antidepressants. She got so much better. And then after about six months of treatment, I was sitting with her, and I'll never forget this, where I was looking out at the window, and I saw a cloud passing by, and I focused on the cloud, and I went into a kind of trance state. And in that trance state, I had a knowing that she was going to make a suicide attempt. 
And because it did not resonate with anything that was happening with her clinically, she was better, she was eating, her relationships were, were improved, she had a boyfriend, she was having sex, all the signs that someone is getting better, I didn't even bring it up with her. Uh, because there were no clinical evidence. I just thought, oh, this is weird, whatever, and I let it go. And then within a, a couple of weeks, she overdosed on the antidepressants that I prescribed for her and ended up in an intensive care unit in, in a hospital in Los Angeles. So that was really my wake-up call where I felt that I had harmed her by not listening. What was the outcome for her? Did she recover? After a few weeks, yes, mm -hmm. she did recover. Mm -hmm. She didn't die, and she resumed therapy with me, although I did not bring up the premonition with her because at that point I was not at all comfortable working with intuition with my patients. Mm -hmm. um, but I swore from that point on that I would have to listen as a responsible physician to my intuitions because otherwise I felt like I, I was harming people if I didn't. Right. Exactly. So that was my turning point. Exactly. Um, I'm just curious. We, we have, um, when you were in ER, in the emergency learning as in, in school, you probably saw evidence of people using their intuition. I mean, it's very moving very fast and so forth. Did you ever see any evidence of that, but nobody talked about it? Well, I think nurses and most nurses and doctors in the emergency room have to use their intuition, but they don't think about it that no, way. No, they don't. They don't. <laughs> I'm here with Dr. Judith Orloff, and we're talking about how we can develop more intuition in our own lives. She is the author of several books, including the bestsellers, Dr. Judith Orloff's Guide to Intuitive Healing. Also, Emotional Freedom, Liberate Yourself from Negative Emotions and Transform Your Life, as well as Second Sight, an intuitive psychiatrist tells her extraordinary story and shows you how to tap your own inner wisdom. My name is Justine Willis-Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. with Dr. Judith Orloff, and we're talking about intuition. And uh, Judith, where does intuition come from? What is it? Well, intuition is nonlinear knowledge that does not come through the analytic mind. It comes through gut feelings. It comes through knowings and flashes and transmissions and imagery and voices and sensing of energy and dreams. But it does not come through by trying to figure out anything. 
It comes through by being entirely receptive, open, playful, as spontaneous as possible, and trusting what comes in. You see, people get a little bit confused because they think if they bear down or they visualize that they can tap intuition, and it doesn't come that way. It comes from putting out a request where if you ask a question, please give me guidance about this relationship or this illness and be open to whatever images and impressions and knowings that come. But intuition happens very quickly. It's not like the mind. It comes in a flash. So you can forget it very quickly if you don't pay attention. Oh, isn't that the key, too, is is once we make that request... How, how do we actually hear the answer? I mean, it may come, as you say, in voices or, as you say, in the cloud or, you know, it may come in all sorts of ways. So how do we recognize it? Well, in Second Sight, I go through different techniques to listen to intuition. But one thing, you have to really get in a playful state, be open, be receptive, and don't try too hard. And then get to know your body, get to know your intuitive self in terms of how you perceive intuition, because people are often different. Now, I'm very kinesthetic, so I sense everything in my body. I can feel somebody's pain in my body. I could sense various energies in my body. And I'm also visual, so I get flashes of things, you see. But other people, many of my patients here, voices. And they're not psychotic voices. They're, they're voices that give you information, you see. And some people dream and have prophetic dreams. So you have to know which is your way and then develop that. But also, I encourage my patients and everyone to really um, experiment with other ways of knowing that aren't so Uh, comfortable and familiar to you. But at first, just get used to listening to your body, your gut. What does your gut tell you about this person? Does it say, uh, my energy goes up, I feel happy, I feel comfortable, I feel familiar and good? Or does it feel like your energy is going down or you have a red flag or you get a warning? What What's going on in your body? Now, I train people to know what their intuitive yeses feel like and what their intuitive noes feel like. So intuition is a process of development and discovery. It's not just something you're born with. So what is uh, an example of an intuitive yes? Well, for me, an intuitive yes is if I get the goosebumps. The goosebumps um, are a sign for me that I'm moved. When I get, if, I'm, if I'm intuiting or tuning into a project or tuning into a, a step, next step of what to take, if I start getting the goosebumps in my body, that's a yes. I go, and if I get nothing, if I get like I'm hitting a brick wall, that's a no. Or if I start trying too hard to make something happen, that's a no. But the intuitive sense of the, of the body, whether it feels good, whether it feels awakened, inspired, moved, you know, goosebumps, you know, those kinds of senses of being alive, you know, that something's going on, that's, that's a yes. And a no can often feel depressing or like inertia or something's not moving or beware mm-hmm. or beware. But I, I want to tell everybody that sometimes your intuition conflicts with your desires. And this is where it can be problematic or you might want something to happen. You might want a relationship. And yet your intuition is saying not now. It's not happening now. And you're saying, no, but I'm in love. I want it to happen now. And your intuition is going, no, wait, wait, wait. You see, that's the the dynamic that goes on. So I want people to get used to um, 
listening to their intellectual mind versus their intuition and doing that dance and learning to do that dialogue and knowing which is which. But then the transformational thing is making the choice of what you listen to. And in my process as a psychiatrist um, and in my life, I always listened to intuition first. Then I listen to my mind. I integrate both, but it's always what does this feel like first? And then what does my mind think about it? Oh, those are two great questions. What does it feel like? And then what do I think about it? Yes. Yeah, those, those are two very, very um, good guides. Uh, what, what happens, Judith, when we hear, we, we give those guides and, and we um, override it and we constantly override it and we see afterwards, oh, I should have listened. What happens to our intuition then? Will it, will it kind of fade or what happens if we keep overriding it? Oh, I, I'm I'm a used to be a very very stubborn person. I'm much less so now. So I would override it all the time in the past, where I didn't like what it said. I wanted to do it my way, so I did it my way. And what happened over a period of time when you do that is that you get battered, because you see it doesn't work, and you see how tiring it is, and you see the trouble you get in, and the bad relationships or the bad choices, and then you just get tired of it. And that's a lesson. You know, people need not beat themselves up for doing that. For me, it was a lesson. The not listening is often as useful as listening because you learn. So it didn't go away when you didn't listen. It, it, kept, it kept knocking on your door, so to speak. Well, I yearned for it because <laughs> I wanted to lead a different kind of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when, when we, we do hear it, can we actually create a, an atmosphere for ourselves that that we can hear it even more often or increase our capacity? Oh, yes. I mean, my life is totally devoted to learning new ways to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, there's, there's finding the stillness. You must learn to find the stillness within. You must, even if it's just for a few seconds, because intuition won't come through the mind. You know, all, all those linear people out there, as much as I love the analytic mind, you're not going to get to it that way. The linear mind can do certain things. It could analyze. It can spar with you. It can make lists of positive and negatives. But what it can't do, it can't know love. It can't know that death is not an end. It can't know creative passion. And it can't let go in the body. You see, so it, and it can't know God. The intellect can't completely know spirit or God. So you have to know what it can do and what it can't do. And in terms of developing it, one big way that I develop it is to be around the elements, to be around water in particular. I live by the ocean, but I walk by the ocean and just being around the element of water for me and also the reflections that come from water signal my intuition. And so I spend a lot of time around water. If I have a big decision to make, I'll go out and walk on the rock jetty by my house out to the very, very end and look at the water and tune in because the water amplifies it for me, you know, as does the night sky. So, Isn't, isn't there something about, um, there's a, an oracle reading called scrying, I think, where you take a bowl of water and you look into a bowl of water. It's an ancient yes. uh, oracle technique. Yes. So uh, in that way, you're, you're doing that same thing, going out on the end of the jetty. 
Yes, it's, it's very natural for me and beautiful and sensual. Intuition is a very sensual thing because it it allows you to listen to your body in the deepest ways. And we're made two-thirds of water anyways, and so my water resonates with your water and all the water around me. And so all of that, it's a fluidity of surrender and opening to a deeper form of knowledge, which is so intriguing to me. And I want to go deeper and deeper with that and not hold back. And the linear mind will make you hold back. Judith, when you first started really overtly working with your own intuition and working with teaching others to increase theirs, what what did your colleagues think? Oh, I was so afraid of that. When I wrote Second Sight, it took me seven years to write the book because I was so afraid of what my colleagues would think. Oh, God, I had a lot of fear. Uh, but when you know, the book first came out, this is a, a re-release, new edition with new uh, introduction and, and other information. Um, but when the book first came out, and it actually got out there, it was the biggest gift that ever happened to me because I was able to find my voice in a very free way. And because I blend traditional medicine with intuition, I don't have a preference, actually. I incorporate all forms of wisdom, whatever it is, to help people. And so I don't have any... I have love for everything. And because I come from that place, I was never threatening to anybody. You know, and people I I've, I've found respond more to the quality of who you are and the sincerity and the power of your message in helping people than they do with with the word or the notion. That's what I found is the quality of who you are can be very powerful in conveying an idea that may seem like heresy to the intellectual mind. You see, but if you do it in a very natural, loving way and you have respect for other people, and I have lots of respect for other doctors who don't believe like I do, no, I have total respect for them, you know, not having had this experience. You see, so the, then I, I have a very nice relationship with people. But it must have been uh, just something tremendous for you to speak at the American Psychiatric Association. I mean, that's a very prestigious group. And when you first uh, were asked to speak, what was that like for you? Oh, excitement. Yeah, I was so excited I because I see myself as a bridge between traditional medicine and intuition. So I'll go everywhere. You know, I'll, I'll go everywhere and speak to people. I was just at Skid Row speaking to people. Tell so. us about that. Uh, what was that like, speaking? What do you mean, Skid Row, and how did you get there, and what were you up to when you did that? Well, I was invited to speak. It was like an open-air park during the summer, and it was during the great fires in L.A., so there were, you know, it, it was burning. <laughs> I went down there, and I talked about intuition and spirituality. And, you know, there's a lot of mentally ill you know, there. There was people who were living on the streets, more some, or less, some and some. There's some just, working poor, mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. some living on the streets, but, but they came and they listened and some were really into it. Some were really into it, but they were also into getting their coffee and their, their snacks too. So it was a, you know, you had to really flow because there's a lot of movement around and no one was sitting mm -hmm. dutifully like they do in, you know, in, in, in other kinds of meetings. In a conference. <laughs> and what was your purpose in going? To inspire them. To inspire people, uh, to talk about intuition, to talk about spirituality, how it's related to every single moment of whatever it is that we go through. Yes, yes. So tell me, in in uh, can we really trust our intuition? Is it trustworthy? 
It's trustworthy when you get to practice a little bit and you know the difference between your fears and your intuition. And there's a section in the book on how to know the difference between them because a lot of times people confuse their fears with intuition. My patients have called me who had fear of flying. They call me from the airport saying, I think the plane's going down. And it, is, it isn't. It's their fear of flying. And so you have to know the difference. And the, how do you tell the difference between fear and intuition? Um, fear has a very strong emotional charge, and um, it's a very highly charged issue in yourself, whereas e- intuition can be oddly neutral and just information that comes through or a knowing. It doesn't necessarily have much of a charge, and sometimes when intuition comes through, it's like I'm in a movie watching something, that it doesn't, there's more of a neutrality to it. It's almost like not personal. Yeah, it's not personal. It's simply information that comes through that you can do with as you will. Um, Of course, we have a choice on how we use it. But what I suggest for people is to practice with very small things. Once you begin to know your intuitive yeses and your intuitive noes, and then let's say you're in traffic and suddenly you get, I should go turn left instead of turn right. What the mind is going to do is say, that's ridiculous. Just keep going. But you're going to be able to be bold and trust your intuition and say, oh, I'll just see, I'll go left. And then maybe you'll see that you avoided a traffic jam. I'm here with Dr. Judith Orloff, and she is the author of Second Sight. An intuitive psychiatrist tells her extraordinary story and shows you how to tap your own inner wisdom. My name is Justine Willis-Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Judith Orloff, and we're talking about intuition and how we can have more of it in our lives and how it benefits us. Um, Judith, I want to talk about, you mentioned in the introduction in your book, something about the enteric nervous system and how science is really coming up with all sorts of information about how it is actually real in our body. So can you talk about the enteric nervous system? What is that? The enteric nervous system is the brain within the gut. It's the gut intelligence that's there with the same uh, setup of neurons that is in the brain and the same neurotransmitters. And so there's an innate wisdom in the neurological wiring of the enteric nervous system in the gut, which allows us to know things. So that means that, that memory can also live in, in the gut, things like that? or is that I believe what? memory can live in every organ of the body. You know, as Candace Pert talked about in Molecules of Emotion. Absolutely, that we have memory everywhere, but the gut has a particular enteric nervous system that allows it to assimilate and learn information and be able to create the gut feeling or the wisdom or the knowing that we have in our gut. It's, it's very, very real. It, it's or some a, people will call it the belly wisdom. The belly wisdom. There's something in there that you can feel that is related scientifically and medically to what's going on in the body. But intuition, subtle energy, neurobiology is all connected. You can't have one without the other. 
Right. Uh, and what about basal ganglia? What what does that have to do with all of this? Well, there was a, a study uh, at Harvard University that pinpointed the basal ganglia, which is a part of the brain, as being mainly associated with intuition. And so it's quite interesting, you know, in terms of the brain research that has been done and that is upcoming to try and pinpoint what parts of the brain are intuitive. It's not just the right part of the brain versus the left part of the brain, as the thinking was for a long time. If there's specific structures in the brain that are associated with intuition, and this is just a new field of research, but in this one study, they pointed toward the basal ganglia. So some of us really need all of this sort of scientific data to, to, to truly believe it. And then there yes. are others of us that, um, okay, that I just know it's true. It's just I know that I thought of this, and then my aunt called, or I thought of this, and, and I avoided that accident, yes. or things like that. And we don't need the scientific uh, data to support it. So do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, whatever you need, you need to get. <laughs> yeah. Anything that will help you to trust your intuition, I support. And if the science behind it will do it, then wonderful. If you don't need the science, then just trust it, listen to it, make decisions on your life and you know about love, about work, about illness, about health, about moving, everything. Tune into your intuition because if you don't, then you're just going to be in your head. And you're just working on just a part of what we're given, all the tools we're given to really live fully in this life. Is that yes, what you're a, saying? A fraction of, of what you're capable of. And, you know, the old thinking is that intuition is soft, that it's feminine, that it'll make you weak, that it'll make you vulnerable, that you won't be a, you know, a hard thinker, you won't be able to go into conflict, you know, and act, you know, with all of your fuses on, you know, you won't be able to do that. And that's so untrue because you could integrate your intuition with your mind. They work together. This is what is so hard for the linear mind to understand, that it's not either or. It's all of it. You know, in corporate settings, they're a little quicker to pick up on this. You've you've done some work with that. Can you talk about that? Oh, well, just look at Conrad Hilton. I mean, he's so wonderful. He talked about Connie's hunches. He would always go by his hunches before he would make any business decisions. And Donald Trump said intuition is the basis of his success and positive energy is the basis of his success. So I think business people are more apt to own it because they know how powerful it is. Certainly creative people. I interviewed Quincy Jones, and he says that intuition is, is just so natural to all creative people because we need it. We live by it. We can't exist without it. You see, the hardest people are the attorneys. It's a big operation to get them out of their heads. It's a big operation. <laughs> and I'm just thinking about how many laws we write to cover everything. You know, we put it all down in paper, but it, it, and often we say the letter of the law or the spirit of the law, you yes. know, and they're, they're the two different sides. Yes, and I teach intuition as being connected to the heart as opposed to just uh, information that comes through. Because when you begin to open your heart and the unconditional love that comes from that place in your body and combine that with your intuition in terms of how to see the world and how to direct your own life and be of service to others, through the lens of the heart, intuition is something extremely beautiful. When it's just used as facts, which it can be by some 
people, it doesn't have any allure to me. Going and getting the racetrack numbers, something like that, is not. that's not what I'm talking about or here. Or getting lottery numbers, right. Yeah, it's not my thing. It's not right. my thing. I'm I'm more into connecting the development of the heart with intuition so that when you know things, that it could come through a loving place, the knowing and the transmission of that knowing. Because with intuition, it can be a gut feeling, but as you develop it, it's a very intimate form of deeper knowledge that you become privy to. And it's extremely um, connecting. It connects you with something greater than the self beyond I, me, mine, you know, to something larger so that you can connect with that greater flow. It's intimate. It's You surrender to it and get connected to everything. It's a very deep exploration that, that goes throughout a lifetime. And if that's something that you want... It's more of a, a life transformation, an energetic transformation. It prepares you to be loving in life, but it also prepares you for the transition of passing over so that it won't seem like such a, an alien, horrible thing that there's nothing on the other side because intuition will tell you that the spirit endures, that we are not our bodies. This is an intuitive knowing. The mind will rail against that. The mind will never, ever get that, so don't expect it to. But the intuition will know that something beautiful is here and something beautiful is there too, and that we are not going to die. And this intuitive knowing that death is not an end and that we're going to be okay, just that basic knowledge can transform your whole life. I mean, I work in a medical system that is death-phobic, and the doctors are so afraid of death when they're dealing with the terminal patient. They don't look at them in the eyes. They get very technical. They avoid the rooms. You know, it's just a travesty because of their fear of death. You see, but with intuition, you can tune in. And you could have a sense, a very real knowing that death is not an end. So just imagine a life without that fear. Oh, that's so <laughs> what are, are, are we tapping into when you say it's beyond the body into a field of energy? Is it? A, yeah, yeah, yeah. And into everything in the field of, of everything. The linear mind only knows space and time and this earth and this chair and this table and a plus b equals c and logic and that's what the linear mind knows. But intuition knows beyond this time and this space. The intuition is able to connect to everything because it's more fluid and open ended. And if it's uh, beyond time and space, then how about um, can can we talk to those who have passed on? Can we can we contact? Have you have you ever had an experience of that? Oh my goodness, yes, for for me, but I certainly with my patients. You know, I mean, how many patients have come to me saying they've had dreams of loved ones who have returned to them soon after death, telling them they're all right, not to worry. Uh huh. And you know, Freudians would say that's a wish fulfillment. You're just making it up because you want to believe it. But anyone, and I totally disagree, anyone who's had that experience of the visitation of the loved one who's passed on. You know, I had a visitation like that for uh, when my mother died. I wasn't actually with her. I w- uh, when she actually died, I was I was with her that morning. And then she. I, I was at home, and I felt this flood of in, love like I've never felt. It infused Every cell of my body, I felt so much love, more love than I ever felt from her specifically in my lifetime. It just it just filled me up. And then the phone rang, 
and my aunt said mother had passed. Yes. So I didn't even know that she had passed, but it was like this feeling of love came over me, and I had no idea why. Yes. And then the phone call came, and I just know that that was... That was like a healing between me and my mother she, because she was an alcoholic and she had a, uh, a difficult life there towards the end. It was difficult to be close to her. And um, just like all was well and with that kind of visit. And I know it was um, that, that it was beyond space and time. It's, it's that knowing that I hope people can trust. Because if you go to a traditional doctor or psychiatrist and you say that, you may be, you may, he or she may try and talk you out of it, you know, with a lot of logical reasons. All right. And this is where I really... Why would they do that if it's something that's so comfort, comforting? Because they don't believe it's possible, because uh. they haven't had the experience. You see, it all comes down to if you haven't seen the color green, you don't know what it is. But once you've seen the color green, then it's the most beautiful thing in the world. So it's a kind of blindness that happens with some very linear thinkers where they just can't see. It's a lack of sight. You see, that's why I have a great compassion. And, you know, that's one thing I'm so happy that Second Sight has made me in terms of being a safe harbor for people to tell all their experiences to, everything that they can't tell their husbands or their teachers or their parents. You know, I get to hear because I... You know, I can embrace it all, and it's such a beautiful thing, and I want everyone who has these experiences, you know, not to hide, you know, or to share with like-minded people and to ha develop a, a, a vocabulary to be able to discuss it, your dreams, and if you've spoken with a loved one who's passed on or you've had a sense or, you know, any of these things. It's part of our creative development as human beings, and as I believe it is part of our evolution, you know, in order to trust intuition because we came from primordial times with the survival intuition and perhaps some of the ancient visionary intuitions, but they were untrained. They just happened spontaneously. And then as our intellect got larger and the, you know, our brains got more analytic, we've, we've really um, drifted far from that. But now, you know, part of the new evolution is reclaiming the intuition again, along with our linear minds and, and using everything we've got. As if we don't reclaim our intuition, you know, personally, we're going to be in a very sad state, and the world is, is you know, going to be in a very sad state if we don't connect the heart with intuition to make decisions. You, you write in the forward to the book, Brains are wired for spiritual experiences. Can you speak about that? Oh, yes. There's been so much great research done, for instance, by Dr. Andrew Newberg, you know, who, you know, they've done um, MRI scans or PET scans on meditating nuns and priests, and they found that the blood flow changes during um, mystical experiences and that sense of of being one with everything, of connecting, of of having selflessness. It's a whole different part of the brain that gets activated during these experiences versus I, me, mine, I'm walking down the street, I'm made of this material body and that's all I am. You see, we have all these different capacities and through meditation, through finding the silence, through practicing intuition, we can get into all of these different areas in our brains, but our brains are connected to our subtle energies, which are connected to spirit and all the universal energies. There's, we're not just a physical body. We are an interconnected kind of galactic body where we're connected to everything. And this doesn't mean you're not going to be smart 
smart and incisive and intelligent and uh, discerning. It means you're going to be all that, but you're all that and intuitive and connected and beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm here with Dr. Judith Orloff, and we're talking about the fullness of who we are. My name is Justine Willis-Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Judith Orloff. She is the author of Second Sight, an intuitive psychiatrist, tells her extraordinary story and shows you how to tap your own inner wisdom. Judith, since this, this is like a second edition of the book, and how have things changed since the writing and release of the first edition and now the second edition in, let's say, the medical field? Has there been any change? Oh, there's been huge change, I can say happily, in terms of integrating intuition, opening to alternative medicine, opening to energetic therapies such as acupuncture, uh, tai chi, yoga. Um, Time magazine did a cover story on um, yoga and meditation. So it's becoming more mainstream. And, you know, what I'm seeing in medicine is that there is an increasing openness to incorporating this in, in many forms of medicine, certainly not all. And, and the good old boy kind of mentality and surgery is still there, you know, although that's much better than when I went through my training. When I went through my training in surgery, they would tell these horrible sexual jokes in the operating room, which was such a, you know, a, an affront to, to the patients, you know, who are opened up. It was a very, it's very vulnerable during surgery, and you want to have the most loving environment possible. The possibility that that, that patient is registering oh, on yes. some level that um, that talking that that those comments that they're actually maybe not physically hearing them but on a subtler level they're actually registering that absolutely I mean the linear mind is only a part of our perceptions and just because we're not conscious just because we're not sane just because we're not you know, awake and aware, if we're in coma, if we're in another linear state, if we have Alzheimer's, that doesn't mean we're not perceiving information and energy and love and connection. It just means the linear mind has changed. You know, the, uh, you know, the medicine is very hard for them to get, get this. <laughs> it's only the linear mind that's changed. You just don't stop communicating because your linear mind is not operational. Um, but in any case, this is changing quite a bit in terms of intuition coming in more in medicine. And, and, you know, I get to mentor UCLA medical students and psychiatric residents where they meet with me regularly uh, to learn how to bring intuition and energy into patient care from the very beginning. And I think this is essential in 
the education of healthcare practitioners to learn how to do this from the very beginning. Bef you know, when they first see patients, how do you listen intuitively as well as with your head? You know, how do you connect? What do you listen to? So I, I kind of walk them through that. And it, it's a great honor to be able to do that. And I've spoken at medical forums, integrative medical forums around the country and, and the world, really, talking about how to do this. And I give uh, trainings for healthcare practitioners on how what you do to incorporate intuition in patient care. This is exactly what you do. It's not esoteric. It's not vague. It's this is what you do, but you have to practice, and you have to have a network of like-minded peers to be able to keep moving with this. It's not just a single thing. That must be a tremendous boon to the whole idea that, that we can work on many levels like that. Uh, to be accredited by a major medical center like that and to have you come in and, and like for new interns to be thinking, it's okay. That's so different than your own training, those early years of your own training. Oh, I never heard the word intuition or spirituality in my own training. Never. Never. But now more and more medical schools are integrating spirituality courses in their curriculum and bringing intuition and uh, energy medicine in. So, you know, since Second Sight first came out, um, there's been an incredible renaissance in alternative health and in embracing, increasing embracing of these abilities in medicine, although it still mm -hmm. is not at a place where I would like it to be. Yeah. It's moving, and what when I f first started bringing intuition into medicine, it was considered heresy, really, to, to do this. How does one find a, let's say, a general practitioner who would tap into this, this as, as also part of their, their medical practice? How, how would one find a doctor who uses this as well as regular allopathic medicine? Well, I have a great referral page on my website where I have all kinds of resources and organizations and specific um, places that people can go. And I spent a long time really researching that, and I add a lot to it. But the American Holistic Association um, is uh, of, of uh, medicine is very important. The American Holistic Nurses Association, very important. Uh, the Association for Energy Psychology, all of these groups have national referrals. Oh, that's so wonderful that now that that's where the internet really is so helpful. We yes. can just find almost anything now. So, what what would you say to someone who? Um, let's talk about fear. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but you say fear can mask a lot of things and and mask our ability to really tap into this positive source. So, can you can you talk about that a little more fully? How? Because we are we are living in a time where we're bombarded with all sorts of information that wants to keep us in fear and in um, contraction, so to speak, uh, that life is hard and, and it's going to get worse. And so we, we have to really work in this kind of environment all the time, all of us. Yes, it's life 101. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to learn to work with fear, that's the basic learning of life. Um, and, and if you could look at it that way in an optimistic way, I mean, certainly now it's all amped up in terms of all the fear that's coming at us. And those who are very intuitive and sensitive and open um, are getting very exhausted by it if they don't learn techniques to protect their energy. 
So that's something that's very important that I talk about in the book and also skills you need to learn um, in order to survive these kinds of times. But intuition requires over and over and over again, shifting out of fear, shifting out of any emotion and finding that still neutral spot inside so that you can grow larger than the fear. The fear is very small. It's very loud and it's very attention getting, but it's very small compared to that still space. Once you could connect with it, then all of a sudden you expand and your being and your knowing expands larger than the fear. All right. But it's an exercise and you have to practice it. So it's a, what you're saying is that the fear is, is actually, um, Fear doesn't live outside of ourselves. It's inside. And so are we going to feed it and have that right. grow? Or are we going to feed that still small voice, that stillness, that other other place? The intuitive skill is to grow larger than the fear. You see, fear is very seductive because it makes you feel that that's all there is. You see, but that's just smoke and mirrors. It's not true. And in order for you to know it's not true, you have to have the experience of going inside and finding the stillness and expanding. When you find that stillness and you practice a little bit, it naturally expands. So you can feel yourself literally growing larger with a larger perspective as if you're looking down on the earth or looking down from high, high, high above and seeing the whole picture. You know, Judith, as you say that, I get the image of um, if if you've ever been around a, a, f a fire, like an outside fire, it's it's nighttime, and you're all sitting around a fire that you've built, you know, out in nature somewhere, and and you know you cannot see beyond the periphery of light that that fire throws out, right. and if that fire is the fear, you know that it's got this limited, and it's it seems like that the whole world is that. But if you've had to step out of that fire and maybe walk away from it, suddenly the night sky comes into view and all sorts of other things that you can't see when you're just sitting close exactly, to that fire. Exactly, exactly. Fear is in the mind. And the linear mind, as we've talked about in this interview, is very small compared to other forms of perception. So you have to know that fear is in the mind. The mind is relatively small. To shift out of fear, you have to get beyond the mind, expand larger. And it's a spiritual exercise, an intuitive exercise that you just practice. I mean, it's not complicated. You just sit down. You close your eyes. If you like candles, you can light a candle. And you go in and begin to breathe and begin to find that still space. However you do it, you've got to find it. And it's in everybody. You find it and it's like a little, little corner of your being. You find it. That's great. And then you nurture it so that it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so it's easier to find. And when you find that stillness, then you can tune in in that stillness and all kinds of magical things can happen. You can ask questions and get intuitive answers. You can be able to travel through space and time. You could talk to loved ones from that still space. You know, you can do all kinds of things you cannot do with your mind, but that's the message of intuition. Intuition is so much larger than the mind. The mind is a little tiny thing compared to intuition. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awfully, awfully good news. Uh, and, and tell me, like, you can use your intuition for many things, it, you know, like um, uh, in work situations, when, in difficult work situations, you can, you, it's really a great tool for that, isn't it? 
it tells you how to communicate with people. As you can go in and ask yourself, let's say you're having a really hard day with a with a coworker, how can I communicate with this person? Breathe, center, find the sp- still space, and see what comes to you. And I know people are always afraid nothing will come, but the more you practice, you're going to get the idea that you're going to get, you know, something will come, and then you can try it out and have success. And also there's a section in the book on remembering dreams and listening to dreams, and that's another way to get answers. So before you go to sleep at night, you can ask a question, and then in the morning have a few minutes of quiet when you awaken, and then write down the dream in the dream journal and see how it relates to the question. And you can do this every night for a week, and this is a way to get revolutionary answers to seemingly unsolvable problems. Well, I suggest you try it (laughs) and, and test it out yourself. Judith, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it was my pleasure, Justine. I've been here with Judith, Dr. Judith Orloff. Um, she is the author of Second Sight, an intuitive psychiatrist, tells her extraordinary story and shows you how to tap your own inner wisdom. Uh, and you can find her on her website uh, and with many, many references and wonderful resources, uh, drjudithorloff.com. That's Dr. Dr. the initials Dr. JudithOrloff.com, or you can get there by going to the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Justine Willis-Toms, and you've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3324. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.